Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello, and welcome to the CM360 podcast. I'm Richard Steenan, Chief Research Analyst at IT Harvest. I'm an author and industry analyst. I curate a database of 3,231 cybersecurity vendors. IT Harvest is an industry analyst firm that covers these vendors. And my guest today is Kane McGlattery. Greetings, Kane. Richard, thanks for having me on the show. I'm so excited for today's conversation. As am I. Kane, you're the field CISO at Hyperproof. Tell us how you came into that role. So prior to joining Hyperproof, I was doing executive advisory for the Fortune 500 and Global 1000 businesses around cybersecurity. And the classic motion there is you ask the customer for a whole bunch of proof and evidence, and they have to spend time scrambling to go find that proof. And it's a very inefficient process. And having been a CISO at a defense industrial base concern previously, it's the same problem where you have to provide your internal assessment team or your external assessment team a whole bunch of documents. And they're going to go ask the security team, which has 11 billion other things to do, none of which involve responding to the auditors in a timely manner. Um, right, that they have to get that information back and then collate it and then evaluate it for sufficiency and for adequacy. And it's a big drag on company resources is what I continuously saw. And even though it's necessary to measure your cybersecurity maturity and it's under various laws and regulatory regimes, it's actually required to produce these proofs. It's not a very efficient way of going about it. So when I talked to my friend Matt a couple of years ago and, you know, I an angel investor and, and invited me and said, hey, have a look at this hyperproof thing. I was like, wow, that looks pretty cool. And so two years later, I was like, can I, can I come on board yet? Because that is like a problem I have been itching to solve. Um, and today, if I look at the macroeconomic conditions that companies are currently facing, um, the regulator does not care if you, you know, if your dog ate your homework because, or you couldn't get enough staff or you couldn't produce the reporting time because you don't have enough people or they're all too busy, um, they're just going to still fine you or you're going to be found for civil, uh, which is also a bad outcome. And so the promise that I'm really looking at and I get continuously excited about is the ability to automatically collect, inspect, and then make informed decisions based on proof automatically so that compliance teams can focus on like managing risk, which is the whole intent of this exercise, instead of like paper trail chasing. Great origin story. So help me understand though, what you mean by automating compliance controls. I assume this is not to be confused with SOAR automation. That's right. SOAR is very different. It's intended for security professionals. So it's the S in SOAR is for security. Uh, and it's really intended to allow them to be more effective at um, responding to events that might come out of a SIM, a security incident event monitor. Whereas a compliance operations platform such as Hyperproof is meant to provide oversight of that function. So for example, if your SOAR system said, hey, we need to let the IR team know that there's a thing gone on and we might have an incident, you're probably going to be interested, like is your incident response plan being followed in the prescribed manner? And that's going to be up to the incident response team to you know, take 
take notes and use whatever ticketing system or similar system that they're using to collect their notes and process the incident and determine like what to go do. The premise of compliance operations is the ability for an independent assessment or audit team to have inspection ability of that platform without actually needing to know like how does the SOAR platform work or how does the uh, incident response platform work or how does the ticketing system work because they're really just interested in was the process followed in the prescribed manner. Um, Does that help? Yeah, completely. Maybe as further description, I'm just thinking back to my days at PwC and I'd go on site and I'd have a, a, a database on my laptop of controls. And I'd go to, you know, one of them said the control for this is to check the firewall configuration. So I'd go and I'd dump the entire configuration, look mm-hmm. through it. And then, you know, if it met the control requirement, I'd click a checkbox. Is, is that what you're talking about automating? And scaling that. And And scaling it wildly and scaling it effectively and making it so that it's less human dependent. So I know a lot of former employees uh, of PwC, EY and others in that, you know, big four, big five category. And um, I'm glad that they gave you a database and I'm glad that they gave you a user interface to actually go do. You don't always see that because on the back end, what happens is a lot of that evidence collection, as I mentioned at the top of the show, is very difficult for customers to necessarily obtain. Like you have to actually have access to the right person. Uh, and like, if you really think about it, it's a computer can ask another computer, hey, can you give me that file or can you give me that screenshot or you can give me that configuration file? That's one part of it. And then it's not hard for a lot of automated tests to be written because if you're looking for, I don't know, let's say you have to prove that your authenticator, your administrators are using multi-factor authentication to log in. Yes, you could have a human read that report. That'd be a very boring report to read. It's more effective to have a computer read that report and say, hey, everything passed. And that allows you to do it at scale, but also to allow you to do it continuously so that you can check for any security exceptions proactively rather than, you know, the old way of doing auditing, which is on day one, everything's totally fine because that's the day the auditor was there. But on day 90 or on day, you know, 270, who knows how well it's going actually because nobody's looking to see if the controls are still operating effectively. And the only reason that companies put in controls, well, okay, a primary reason that companies put in controls is to manage and uh, mitigate their risks. And having continuous assurance that the controls are operating effectively allows companies to make more informed risk-based decisions than just kind of hoping that, well, it was good, you know, six months ago. So, Sure, must still be good, right? And that's just not the world we live in anymore. I was hoping you'd say continuous compliance, um, but you also uh, could have said at massive cost savings, right? Because uh, to pay PwC to come in would cost tens of thousands of dollars, if not more, um, and you'd have to do that every year. So you'd at least, you know, if PwC could just tap into the report that you can generate, it would only take an hour. That is something we're working with audit partners on. So Grant Thornton is one of our audit partners that is using Hyperproof to uh, audit customer environments. And so the way that works is if the customer is currently using Hyperproof and doing all of their automated evidence collection and automated evidence testing, they can give that external assessment firm or audit firm like Grant Thornton access to their Hyperproof environment 
to a subset of it, at least to the parts that are relevant and to the bits that are relevant. And then they can make an informed decision based on those evidence. So the whole process of like, let's send over the DRL, you know, the document request list, which is inevitably an Excel spreadsheet, that just chuck that out the window. It's, it's no longer necessary because instead you're saying, here's the evidence that you need, right, for whatever uh, type of assessment you're doing, a SOC 2 type 2, for example. Uh, here's all of the evidence you need. And then the auditor can comment on it for sufficiency and adequacy. And the whole like, oh, let's, let's communicate back and forth via Slack or via email or some other like weird work paper system that the auditor has ginned up, right? And then let's drop that off the window too. And just let's do that all in hyperproof. And then on the back end, if that generates tasks for engineers at the company, if they had any, like maybe they found something or they needed an additional bit of information, not everybody at the customer needs to be using hyperproof. If they're using something like Asana or Jira for task management, it will automatically send the engineers, the tasks to, hey, could you go get me like a little extra detail here? Could you go fix that one thing? Uh, so that it just integrates natively into their existing workflows. I was quite surprised recently when it finally struck me that quite a few organizations are perfectly fine with being out of completely out of compliance the day after they get certified for SOC. <laughs> even, even FedRAMP, it's you know, they, they probably are keeping a list of things they'll have to do before the auditors come in the next time. Um, do, do you run into that? And at the very least, you're giving them that list so they know about their accumulated future costs of becoming in compliance. You know, over the course of my career, having done assessments for companies, you're absolutely right in that they they need to have a, a perspective on what's currently broken or what's currently failing. But also having been a CISO, I can take the other view of sometimes stuff happens, right? So let's say you've got a requirement that you do vulnerability scans every duration of time, and that's in your regulatory regime, or that's in your legal regime, or that's your policy, whatever, right? And then one day, the vulnerability scanner has to be updated, and it's going to take three days. What yep. do you do, right? Yep. And that, that is one of those conscientious, you have to, uh, if you're really at a mature organization, you sign off on that risk and you say, yes, I accept the risk that the vulnerability scanner, because it needs to get upgraded and it's going to take three days. That sucks, but uh, we have to do it. And I think that the ability of organizations to understand like what controls that uh, system is affecting, right? Which, uh, how, which risks are being mitigated and managed by those controls and what their risk exposure will be during that time and being able to do that automatically through a, a dashboard is a lot better than, again, just kind of guess at it or go, eh, it's probably good enough. Um, the other thing that comes out of that as well and that we're seeing in the current macroeconomic climate is if you're able to assess how effective each control is at managing or mitigating a risk, and you find some of your controls, you know, they're 80 plus percent effective at managing a risk. And then you've got some that, you know, they used to be good, but now they're like in that five percentile where they're not really managing the risk that great. You can always look and say, well, OK, look, we need to reduce our budget or we need to control our spend. Let's get rid of this solution that no longer is effectively mitigating our risk. And let's apply some other control that will be more effective at either a cost point or an efficiency point. How can Hyperprove help a CISO when she's presenting to the board? So when you're presenting to the board, and I think that's going to happen 
quite a lot more this year than it has historically speaking because of uh, proposed rules out of, say, the SEC or New York Department of Finance. Um, You're going to have to tell a story. Boards are no longer interested in like how many attacks were blocked by our firewall because that's not even a meaningful number. Um, I think that boards are starting to have an expectation and they, they want to understand like, how are you effectively managing the risks for the business? And that's what the narrative has to be. And so you have to be able to say like, what was our risk posture last measurement period? That could be six months, that could be a quarter, whatever. What was your risk posture this period? Again, same duration of time. Uh, How much did you spend? And then why? And I think that with a solution like Hyperproof, where we automatically collect all of the evidence associated with how the controls are managing those risks, that you're able to pretty quickly build a narrative of, okay, so we applied these controls, our risk level changed in this way, uh, and then we spent this much money. Now, Hyperproof will not tell you how much you spent on your controls. We don't have that capability yet. Uh, But the rest of that narrative we can quite quickly build, and it's built on a foundation of data as opposed to on subjective opinions or feelings, which I don't think really stand up anymore, is like you feel that uh, you spent this much money and, and maybe it reduced your risk. No, we can actually prove that out. And by producing that in a dashboard for a CISO, it gives them a high degree of confidence that the information they're presenting to the board is uh, uh, true and factual. And then if the board, you know, if they want to get into the details, you certainly can support that with a wealth of data to uh, support your assertions. Or, you know, more often than not, they'll say, okay, good, right? Because so, if you said, like, we spent this much and the risk went down, it's going to be a very short conversation. Uh, if, on the other hand, you say you spent this much and the risk went up and you don't quite know why, um, I hear LinkedIn is very popular these days, actually. It is indeed. <laughs> so, you know, we all know about the friction between the security team and the rest of the organization because the security team, you know, is known as the team of no. They come in and say, you can't do that. You have to do it our way. Does adding uh, compliance automation increase the load on the security team because the auditors are the ones who to, who tell them what to do sometimes. I think actually it, it decreases it. And so what I like to think of is right now we're recording this in January and a lot of companies are probably doing uh, performance reviews. And if you look at the performance review form for somebody who in the security team is a security analyst or security operations professional, um, nowhere on their performance form does it say, they were nice to the auditors, right? That's not a criteria that they're being measured on. Now, if you, by comparison, go look at maybe an internal assessment team or an internal auditors team, managed compliance effectively is probably going to be on their list of, of performance indicators that they're being evaluated on. And so we've already got a natural setup for conflict there where the auditor who is entirely dependent or primarily dependent on the security person who has no dependency on the auditor. That's the classic route of this conflict right here. And also the security professional, like they see the auditors as a nuisance. Like they don't understand why they need to get a spreadsheet or a screenshot or like, why do they keep asking me for this stuff? Don't they have like, why can't we just give them access to their systems, which is a big no, no. Um, So the 
idea behind compliance operations is by automating the collection of those data, we're able to no longer have to ask and chase the security team as audit professionals to go get us that information. Because like I said, it's, it's, can you export us some file from a computer? Well, that's something that's not like, it doesn't take a lot of work to do. Um, we can automate all of that. We can automate the file collection. And then on the back end, we can also automate the processing of it so that the auditor doesn't have to actually ask the compliance, the, the, the um, security team to interpret it for them, right? Because there's, uh, if you think about it, your average assessment professional, they're going to look at a list of firewall rules and they might need a little help. They might need like a crib sheet for that. Again, they're going to go back to the security team for that. If you set it up once, and say, look, here's what acceptable looks like. Here's what unacceptable looks like. We, we code that. We build the, some evaluative tests in Hyperproof. It becomes a lot easier for the assessor or the auditor to get something that says, yeah, it passed. Cool. They can move on. They don't have to worry about the nuances of how firewalls and firewall rules work on varying firewall platforms and bother the security team for that information. So overall, it should reduce the level of friction between the two teams. I think the only thing that otherwise could come up is that because the security team is going to have uh, less time spent doing audits or participating in those, at least in the evidence collection phase, they can actually spend more time effectively managing security controls and running those security controls, which actually reduces their burden associated with participating in audits. Great points. Talk about the various compliance regimes. We've already mentioned the SEC and others, but, you know, setting that up in the first place can be complicated and you might have multiple compliance regimes. How does Hyperproof help in that case? So it won't help reduce the number of compliance regimes you're required to um, <laughs> participate in. That's the, one of those things you just, you, you don't get to choose, it turns out. However, it does allow the ability for a, uh, a piece of evidence to be reused in multiple places. Uh, so if you've got I don't know. Let's say you've got a requirement that senior management has to show a commitment to information security. That's something you see in both compliance regimes as well as in cybersecurity frameworks. That's probably going to be expressed as a policy document. It's probably going to be a policy document that was signed off by a senior executive, right? So if you have three of or four of those, historically speaking, that would mean you'd need to go and collect three or four different copies of the same document to prove that the same person signed it which is really inefficient. Um, instead, you can say, okay, look, here's our policy document repository. Here's the signatures that we can go collect. Let's go collect that file once and reuse it in four separate locations. Or similarly, if you had something around a security control, so maybe you had something around, I don't know, password complexity, password duration, and multi-factor authentication being enabled, and that appears in multiple of your compliance regimes. Same story, right? We can go collect those data. We can automatically test those data. And then when it comes time to either respond to a DRL, a document request list from an auditor that's not using Hyperproof, uh, we have all of our evidence all ready to go in one place and we've linked it to the controls. So there's no head scratching of what does this control mean exactly from the auditor? Um, and if they are using Hyperproof, we just say, okay, cool. Here, have access. Off you go. Bye. Um, and it's going to make that process quite a lot more efficient and, and effective. So again, businesses can focus on like, what's the intent of that regime? Because the, the reason we have these compliance regimes is not because they're 
fun. And it's not because they're cool. It's because for some reason, there was a perception that companies systemically were not doing a thing and probably not doing security well is going to apply to a lot of those. And so companies can instead focus on the intent of it, which is managing cyber and information security risk, rather than on like purely tactical and entirely mechanical activities, which, like I say, automate those, move on. Let's talk about risk instead. Awesome. Thanks, Kane, for all of your insights on automating compliance requirements. Well, thank you, Richard, for having me on the show. I appreciated it. And thank you to everyone who listened to our conversation. If you would like more information on what we've discussed today, make sure you head on over to hyperproof.io. We'll be back next week with another episode in our podcast series. Until then, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on all major platforms. Follow the conversation on our socials at EM360Tech at Twitter and LinkedIn. And for more great daily content, head on over to EM360Tech.com. <laughs>